0: Wine or shine. Wine or shine. As we handle Philippians chapter 2, wine or shine. That's a choice you and I have. And uh, we can wine or we can shine. And so the question that Paul asks us here in this chapter 2 of Philippians is this. Knowing that it's a dark world, knowing that it's a crooked world, knowing that it's a corrupt world, how do we shine, Josie? How do we shine? My kids said, I don't I don't look at them and talk to them enough during the sermon. So now I'm just going to call them out. And um, so now now she's totally going to be like, Dad, don't ever do that again. I love my kids. So grateful for them and my family. And uh, but how do we shine in this crooked world? Right. In this crazy world, um, how do we as Christians shine? What, what does it take to shine? And the text would even use the word, some, some translations say lights, others say stars. How do we shine like a star in, in the midst of a dark void of space? You don't need me to tell you that 2020 has been a hard year, amen? Um, you know, the world... Before all of this happened was dark, the world. Before all this happened was a rough place. There was all kinds of difficulties. And then 2020 has brought with it, uh, you know, all sorts of difficult things. A worldwide pandemic, over 250,000 deaths in the U.S. That's an unbelievable number. Over 1.3 million worldwide, not to mention the struggle with how do we, um, you know, um, socially distance, how do we uh, not engage? Here we are getting ready for Thanksgiving this week and it 's going to look probably completely different. For all of us, and how do we get used and adjust to all these different things? And that affects our mental health. That affects uh, people's jobs, dealing with closures and lockdowns. And um, you know, um, there has been a tremendous rise in alcohol abuse, a tremendous rise in, in substance abuse, a tremendous rise in pornography use. Uh, there has been great civil unrest dealing with unresolved systemic racism there that has been an election year and a very contentious election year and still contentious to this day after the election and you know and and now we have rises in cases and and then we have all of our own personal things going on how in the world could we shine in the midst of this darkness uh, Pastor, what what kind of strength do we have to muster up like, like a star to create some kind of nuclear fusion inside of me so that I just rah, shine in the midst of such dark times? It seems impossible. There's no way we can truly shine in the midst of all this darkness as an adult, as a teenager, as a as a child, there's no way I could shine. I mean, who am I? And 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 it's so dark. It's the problems are so big. I, I'm not. I'm not a politician. I'm not in charge of anything. I'm. I'm not a microbiologist. I, what can I do? And yet Paul would tell us every one of us can shine like a star, like a nuclear fusion power plant star. You could shine from billions of miles away, like a star. And it's a lot simpler than you and I think. Thank you, Miss Jean. Showing your love. And it's even simpler than that, according to this text. is It's a lot easier to shine, and it's as simple as the title, but here's sort of the big idea that I want to give you. The big idea is really this. Make gratitude your habit, not grumbling. Paul is going to say that the act of gratitude and the act of not complaining is a way to shine like a star from billions of miles away. I hope you enjoy looking at the stars. Wintertime is a great time uh, to examine them. In fact, there are three planets up, just FYI. Shortly after sunset, you can see Jupiter and Saturn right next to each other in the sort of east. Um, And then Mars is, is kind of Right above us. So it's a great time to look at these planets and stars. But I mean, man, they shine from billions of miles away. And and Paul is going to say just making gratitude and your habit and not grumbling, not complaining is is something so powerful that I bet if, if we put it on a list of stuff, it would go way down to the bottom of the list. But the simple act of not complaining and being grateful. Paul is saying, this is how you shine like stars in a crooked, depraved, wicked, and twisted world. So it's a lot easier than you and I think. And here we are, Thanksgiving week. And I hope, right, as this point says this, you make it your habit, not a a once-a-year thing, right? but you make it your habit. And so let's um, take a look at the text here and see what Paul says um, and navigate verses 12 um, and and going forth. uh, Notice what Paul says in verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my Absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trouble. Let's just pause on that verse there. And and first, let's pause on the word therefore. Amen. Therefore. A great theologian once told me when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what's it therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Uh, what, What the writer is doing is connecting one thought. To a previous thought, and so Paul is saying, "Remember what I told you earlier. Remember what I told you in chapter one. Remember what I've said. And 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 if you're new and just catching up, Paul has told them that as uh, the people of God, they uh, number one are going to be completed." Uh, That God is going to finish the work that he started them. And he says, sometimes you get worn out. You're thinking, God is never going to complete me. I'm going to stay stuck. I I just feel like I'm not growing. I'm not accomplishing all the things I should be doing. Uh, And he's saying, listen, God's going to complete the work. Don't get tired. And he's also said, listen, you're going to suffer. He said, it's been granted to you as a believer to suffer just like I've suffered. And so you want a gift? Here's your gift. You get to suffer. It's not a popular message in the world today or especially in the church today, letting people know that as believers you will suffer. And, but he said, in the midst of your suffering, I want you to do this thing. And this is what we talked about last week. This thing that you should do in the midst of your suffering is that you should serve others. You should put the needs of others ahead of your needs. You should put the interests of others ahead of your interests. And so as you're doing that, watch and stay with me. Now, as you're suffering, as you're serving others, as you're even sacrificing, because we, he painted this beautiful poem of Jesus who, who was uh, in every way the second person of the Trinity, fully God. And he says, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grass. And he, lit, he made himself nothing. He, he robed himself in human flesh. And so here is Jesus put, putting the needs of others ahead of his needs. And he says, as you're suffering, as you're serving, as you're sacrificing for other people, you're going to get tired and you're going to get tempted. And you know what you're going to get tempted by? Not necessarily pornography, not necessarily drug and alcohol addiction. And those things are real temptations and things we need to worry about. He says, you're going to be tempted by something even greater. Greater than drug use and pornography and all this sort of stuff. You're going to be tempted to complain. And oh, how slick complaining is that we tend to think, that's just a little complaint. At least I'm not getting drunk, Pastor. It's just one little complaint. At least I'm not like them. And we forget how insidious complaining is. And so we need to guard against it. But he says, therefore, right? So he's connecting that to what he said earlier. You're going to get tired and you're going to be tempted. When you're serving and you're sacrificing and you're suffering, you're going to be tempted to complain. He says, listen, we can't be about that life, church. So he says this, right? Continue to work out your salvation. And we talked about this in a previous message. But this work out your salvation doesn't mean you're working for your salvation, right? Salvation heaven, eternity is a free gift given to all those who would trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who would repent from their sins and trust Him. That's a free gift. So we don't work for that, but he's saying you are already saved. God has worked it into you. Now your job is to work it out of you. You, The the power has already been given to you. I kind of like to picture it like this. Uh, It's like uh, if you worked for a farmer, you weren't the farmer, but you just had the job of coming at the end of the season and picking the apples or uh, harvesting the the corn or, you know, whatever else, picking the peanuts you you did. But the farmer was the one who bought the seed, right? The farmer was the one who planted the seed and using uh, God-given sunlight and water, God made it all grow. You just came and harvested, right? Who put in all the work first? The farmer. It's okay to talk back. It's okay to talk back with us. And uh, the farmer put in the work. You just came and you harvested that. He worked it in already. You got to work it out. And so God has already planted in us for all those who have trusted Christ, the power of God. And he says, he works it in. Our job is to work it out. The power is already there in us. And so that's what he's saying. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, And the good thing about this is notice Um, uh, just some of the the words here as we're going to navigate the next verse. Look at verse 13. I love this. Look what he says in verse 13. For it is God, for it is who? God who works in you, in you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, how powerful is this? So he's saying, listen, when you get tired of serving, when you get tired of sacrificing, you get tired of suffering, It's not your strength that's needed. It's God who's going to supply the strength, even to change your heart and your desires, because you know, when we're tempted to complain, our it's our desires that get messed up first, right? And some of us can still serve, and some of us can still sacrifice and come to church and tithe and do all those sorts of things with the wrong desire. But he says this: listen, God will work in you. When the more we stay united to him the more we connect to him the more we abide and we have our union with christ we get filled up and it's god who works in us to both look at those words to will that's your desire god will increase your desire and he will give you the strength to work to will and to work and i don't know about you but that is so encouraging so when you don't feel like serving you don't feel like sacrificing when you feel like complaining we run back to christ we run back to the power of the gospel we repent from our selfishness and we say god empower me amen so that's what we do as we work on uh gratitude not grumbling look at verse 14 though this is where paul lays down the hammer i brought a hammer in earlier this morning for the uh sound booth guys and and uh i said this is thor's hammer this will fix all of our problems and um how many know you would like to take a hammer to a computer sometimes when it's not working? Doesn't usually work out that well, does it? But that's how we feel. Amen. And um, but Paul lays down the hammer here in verse 14. A short, simple, powerful verse says this verse 14. Do some things without grumbling or disputing. Do a few things without grumbling or disputing. Do how many things? All things without grumbling or disputing. Some translations would say without complaining or arguing. Can I get an amen from all the parents in the house? Right? Do all things without complaining or arguing. But listen, it's not just for the parents. It's for all of us. You know, like your grandma said, when you're, when you're pointing one finger... You know you got four or three or five, however many you got left pointing back at you and um and uh, you know, do all things without complaining or arguing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Let me just talk about those words there. The word grumbling actually in Greek, it sounds like a grumble, grumble almost like a gurgle, and uh, it sounds like exactly what it means this though listen to me now, this grumbling is an Under your breath, complaining. This is muttering in a low tone. Did you know what he? You think I'm gonna do that? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you see what she did? Mm Mm-hmm. I can't believe that. It is an under your breath muttering. John MacArthur said this way: it's muttering in a low voice. It is an emotional and emotional rejection of God's providence will, and circumstances for my life. It is an emotional rejection of God's good will and providence and plans for my life. It is an under-the-breath grumbling complaining and then there is disputing or arguing and this is more of a louder it's more of an intellectual um, you know questionings or criticism and how good are we often at criticizing folks or criticizing God and uh, directing um, negative criticism towards God now let me just pause here to say one thing Um, it is not wrong to complain to God are you with me it's not wrong to complain to God. It is wrong to complain about God. There's a big difference there. Um, and if, if you have some time this week and, and want to explore that some more, back in uh, right after Easter, we did a series called Easter Tide, just continuing to celebrate the resurrection after Easter. And we did a couple of messages there called Learning to Lament. And lament is a biblical form of taking your complaint, your hurt, your brokenness directly to God. In fact, one uh, one preacher said this: When we complain to God, when we complain about God, which is the bad thing, it's a sin. We complain to God; it's a psalm, a psalm. You with me? Have you ever read the Psalms? Those guys are complaining left and right to God. That's the difference. God is big enough to handle our complaints, right, when we bring them to Him. He He tells us to bring His our complaints to Him. Uh, in fact, the prophet Jeremiah wrote a whole book called Lamentations, and that is the complaint of the prophet of God. Listen, all this stuff is going on, and here's the difference. Here's why one is sinful and why one is worship. Because one says, God, this is going on in in our world, and this is wrong, this is happening in my life, and this is wrong, because your character, God, is perfect in your ways, God, and what's happening in the world is against your ways, and God, I need you to help rectify that. These two things are not going in accordance with your word, and God, I'm bringing that to you. Help me understand, God. Where the sinful version says, this isn't right, and God, that's your fault. And it assaults his character. And this is why complaining is so dangerous. Do all things, right? Do all things. Somebody say all things. All things without grumbling or disputing, without complaining or arguing. Paul, you have got to be kidding me, right? Paul, it is obvious you have never had a two-year-old. Paul, you listen, you would, if you lived in my house, Paul, you would amend Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. You wouldn't make it two hours in my house with a bunch of little kids, right? By 10.30 a.m., you would have changed Philippians 2, verse 14. I'm sure of it, Paul. You have not lived with a toddler. Or you might say, Paul, obviously, you have never met my boss. You don't know the kind of unrealistic burdens that they strap on my back every day. Paul, do all things without complaining or arguing, without grumbling or disputing. Really, Paul, you haven't talked to my boss. Paul, you obviously have never met my husband. You have never met my spouse. All things without complaining. You know the stuff I have to put up with at home, Paul? You have never met them. Paul, you have never worked next to Mr. I wear cologne that you can smell from three states away. Paul, you don't know what it's like to have to smell this person all day long. And and so, Paul, you obviously do all things, Paul, really, without grumbling or complaining. Paul, you have never met my teachers. The things they make me do. You have never met my parents. The chores they make me. I have to do the same chores every single day. Do all things without. And listen, why don't I just save up on my chores and do them once? You know, I got to do them this day and then that day. This is crazy. Paul, you have never met my parents. Paul, you have never been on a Zoom meeting or had to do virtual education. My eyes feel like they're bleeding from being on Schoology and and having to do this all day long. Paul, really? This seems impossible, right? Paul, you you haven't had to deal with the ungrateful customer that I've had to deal with. You haven't had to deal with my sister or my brother. If you met my family, Paul, you would know that I just got to get a little complaining in. Just a a little bit, right? Just a little complaining. What's so bad about a little complaining? But it is a big sin. Uh, There's this quote that I want to share with you from author John Bloom. He writes at DesiringGod.com and love his article about this. But he says this, Grumbling complaints directly or indirectly declare that God is not sufficiently good, faithful, loving, wise, powerful, or competent. Next time you and I complain, this is what we are declaring This is why complaining to God and about God are two different things. I am declaring that God is not good. I'm declaring that God is not faithful. When I complain, I'm declaring that God is not competent. God, if you were more competent, you would have arranged my life for the way that I prefer it to go to. And obviously, I'm going through all this, and and you have failed at your job, God. That's what complaining assaults God. And look at the rest of the quote he Says this otherwise, otherwise, he would treat us better or run the universe more effectively. Faithless complaining is sinful because it accuses God of doing wrong. One writer said, perhaps this was the sin that Adam and Eve struggled with. It Was it necessarily pride or was it the sin of complaining and ingratitude, the lack of being thankful? Because think about Adam and Eve, right? In the beautiful Garden of Eden, the paradise of the Garden of Eden, and there are not just thousands of trees, not tens of thousands of trees, not hundreds of thousands of trees, I would say millions of trees for them to eat from, for them to climb, for them to explore and and be amazed at and examine their leaves and their fruit and all that sort of stuff, millions of trees compared to just one that you can't eat from. And I wonder if Satan had pricked at the heart of complaining and ingratitude and began to say, you know, God is holding out on you. This one tree, and all of a sudden you start focusing on the one thing that you can't have when you've been given millions of things that you have. And that's the difference of gratitude, amen? Is that when we start practicing gratitude, just as we sang, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. God, I want to see the millions of things you have supplied in my life. I don't want to focus on the one thing that's going wrong, amen? And so we have to be careful of the sin of complaining. It is a big deal. But then someone says, but everybody does it, Pastor. It's, I mean, you know, what if Paul, again, was talking about being a moral person or not cursing or not getting in fights or not getting drunk and all those sorts of things. And again, those are moral issues, and they are still in the Scripture. But, but we have to be careful about the insidious sin of complaining. Everybody does it. You're exactly right which is why Christians should not be doing it. Because how are we going to shine and be any different than a dark world if we join in the complaining? So look at uh, the rest of the verses here. Paul is going to close and challenge us, right? And he answers that question about everybody does it. Then he says this, right, verse 15. So verse 14 is do all things without complaining or arguing or grumbling. Verse 15 says this, that you may be, that you may be what? blameless and innocent children of God. How are people going to know that you're a child of God? Because you got a big Bible? Because you got a Jesus bumper sticker? Uh, because you vote this way or that way? Because you go to church on a Sunday? He's saying, listen, because you won't complain. It says this, right? Without blemish, in the midst of a crooked, twisted, twisted, generation, among whom you shine as lights. Again, good translation would be shine as stars in the world against a dark backdrop, right? You would shine as light, says the, the rest of the verse there, shine as lights. And then he reminds us in the next verse, right? Um, he says in verse 16, holding fast to the what? The word of life, holding fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? That's the Bible, folks. How, how are we going to get over the sin of grumbling? The, the more you read the scripture, the more you meditate on the scripture, the more um, you're going to be strengthened against Grumbling. We could, we could say that gratitude and the word of God are the anti-grumbling vaccines. Amen. As we talk about vaccines in, in our world today, the, the more doses of the scripture you are taking, the more your heart is going to be amazed at Christ. And uh, the more you're amazed at Christ, the more grateful you will be. And, uh, and the less you will be tempted to grumble and complain. You will shine instead of wine. Look at the rest of it. And then he says, it's holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let me just pause right here. Paul is going to close this section with two word pictures. Two word pictures from their culture to help them understand the power of this and understand how gratitude is connected to our joy. He's going to say this. Number one, because he was writing to a Greek audience, uh, Philippi was uh, in, in Europe. It's the first church planted in Europe, and it was a Roman colony. Now, you may know from history that Rome was ruling over most of that part of the world at this time, but not every city was a Roman colony. What was different about Philippi was that as a Roman colony, it was designed to look like Rome. The artwork, the architecture, they destroyed all the native buildings and then they remade it uh, to look like Rome. It was supposed to be a mini outpost of Rome. They didn't do that in all the cities. Again, if you think about Jerusalem, that still had uh, the Jewish uh, flavor to it, if you will, the Jewish culture. And that was not a Roman colony, but Roman colonies were supposed to look just like Rome. And so these people in Philippi were very familiar with the gladiator games, right, with the, uh, you know, going to the big arenas and seeing Uh, what we would know as the Olympics, right? And so he uses this first picture as a runner who gets a prize, a runner who is in the race to win the gold medal, to win the silver medal, to win the bronze medal. But he's saying, listen, I don't want to run in such a way that I I did not run in vain. There's no runners who run to not get. no, No one goes to the Olympics and says, yeah. I don't think I want to get any medals this year. You're in the Olympics. That's why you're in the Olympics, right? But Paul is saying, listen, because uh, as you live your faith, as you hold fast to the word of God, as you not complain or grumble, and, he, and he's saying, I, I have poured this into you. But then look at the next verse. He, he's going to give us the second word picture in verse 17. And look, notice what he says. He says, But even, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Let me just stop right there. What is a drink offering? This is the second. So the first picture is a runner who's running in vain. I'm running in the Olympics. But I I don't really care if I get a medal. And now the second picture is uh, what's called a drink offering. And this was part of pagan rituals. Again, in Philippi, being a pagan city that didn't believe in God, they would offer all kinds of sacrifices. And before they had their sacrifice, they would take a bottle of wine or whatever, and they would pour it out over the sacrifice that was being cooked and all that sort of stuff. And they would just drain the whole thing, just uh, they weren't pouring it out for the homies. They were pouring it out for the false God's. And, um, and the whole thing of wine was just wasted. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, even if I'm being poured out like this drink offering, even if I'm just being poured out, I don't get to be enjoyed with the rest of the meal. Even if I'm just being poured out, that's okay with me. So Paul's saying, even if I run like someone who's running in vain, or even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that's okay. Why? Because I'm learning how to be grateful in any situation. I'm learning how to rejoice in Christ. And so it doesn't matter what you do, Philippians. I mean, I hope you do this is what he's saying. I hope you will continue to do this. But even if you don't, I know I'm not in control of you. And, and even if I'm poured out like a drink offering. Notice what he says here. He says, look at the, the, the bottom there. I am, two words, glad and I, rejoice. Actually, same words there. Uh, so he could say, I have joy and I will rejoice. Rejoice, it's the same word uh, in Greek there. And, uh, and so he says, I am glad or I will have joy and I will rejoice. Why? Because I'm learning to be grateful no matter what happens. I know who Christ is. And so doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm going to be grateful. Isn't that beautiful? And then he closes and again he reminds them in verse 18. Right? Notice what he says in verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and Rejoice. Again, you see uh, the picture of joy there all throughout this. And so Paul closes with those two word pictures and he says, listen, I'm going to give thanks because I know who God is. Right. And, and I'm going to have joy in the midst of all of this. And so uh, let me just uh, kind of remind us, because the, the main point of today is this, that I would make gratitude my my habit, not grumbling my habit. And so um, we've talked about this several times, but I just want to kind of bring back up this word here and, and give us some encouragement that this week, let me challenge you to be grateful, uh, not just this week, uh, but every day. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, to give thanks in all circumstances. It comes from the book of Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances. So let me ask you this. How is your habit of giving gratitude doing? Is that a habit. You know what a habit is, right? Something you do regularly, not just once a year. So I know it's very popular to give thanks on Thanksgiving, maybe have some people go around the table and say some things you're thankful for. Can I challenge you to do that every day? Could I challenge you to do that every week? Do you have a gratitude list? Uh, Something I've mentioned, uh, uh, there is a great book out there called 1,000 Gifts. One Thousand Gifts is by uh, an author named Ann Voskamp. It is phenomenal. Uh, I've been reading it since January. It's that thin, and I'm still reading it. I go back to it because it's so powerful. That encourages me, and she counts the 1,000 gifts. She makes a gratitude. list. is something I've been working on. Could you just take three things every day and write them down? There is something powerful about writing. Um, There there was an old... colleague of Martin Luther back in the Reformation days, his name was Erasmus, and uh, Erasmus uh, had this quote where he said, you know, uh, back in those days when they put a nail in a board, they didn't have fancy nails like we have and and fancy hammers to pull it out. The only way they can get rid of a nail is to drive another nail into it. So he said, as a nail can only drive out another nail, I, I, I get rid of the old nail I don't want by putting in a new nail. He says, so a habit will drive out another habit. See, if grumbling is your habit, right, the only way to replace that habit is by gratitude. And um, and, and so the word for giving thanks, and we talked about this. And if you want to go back to the Eastertide series, you can find a number of these messages where we dive into some of this. But the word for give thanks in the Bible is Eucharisteo. You got to say Eucharisteo, right? Do y'all remember that? We were saying that. It was like a greeting back around. Well, we weren't saying it in public. We were saying it online. So I don't know if you were saying it in your house, but... I was saying it in my house, and, um, and we were putting it in the chat. Eucharisteo, and that means to give thanks. We see Jesus giving thanks before he breaks the bread and feeds the 5,000. We see Jesus giving thanks during the hard times. He, he looks up to heaven, and he, and he gives thanks to God at the death of Lazarus before he resurrects him. We find Jesus even giving thanks as we celebrate the Lord's Supper before his body is broken, before he goes to the cross. He thanks the Father. He gives Eucharisteo. And so may we be people who give Eucharisteo every day. But notice the word I've highlighted there, right? Um, Eucharisteo, that word uh, kari uh, often talks about grace, but it's another form of that, that kara uh, is the word for joy. And so we often like to say that, listen, uh, joy is always possible because thanks is always possible. And watch your joy rise as your thanks rises. And so the more often you find things to give thanks for. So do you have a list? If not, would you start one? How do you make this your habit and just take stock of the things in your life that you could be thankful for? Amen. You may be familiar with uh, some of the research that's come out from neuroscience. that talks about how your body works. And uh, neuroscientists, and I'm certainly not a a neuroscientist at all, but I can read just like everybody else. Uh, But neuroscientists have told us that our, our brain has an amazing capacity that just using your thoughts, you can create a chemical reaction in your brain. Just by using your thoughts and your words, you can create a chemical to be released in your brain. Picture it like a, 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 an octopus ink, right? Just and just spreading all over your brain. You can wash your brain in certain chemicals just by using your thoughts, just by using your words. And so when we have a negative thought or a complaining thought, As we start that act of complaining or start the act of of, uh, just negative thought, your body releases a chemical in your brain. That brain, uh, there's several of them, but the main one is called cortisol. You know, that is, that's the stress chemical, the stress hormone makes you tighten the shoulders makes your chest a little tight, starts pumping adrenaline through your body. Uh, in fact, when cortisol floods your brain, uh, it also shuts down the higher functioning parts, the prefrontal cortex and other parts of your brain, and, and you lose, watch this, you lose the, the ability uh, to do higher functioning thinking, like problem solve, uh, to, to use logic, right, and empathy. You ever met an angry person or, or somebody like that? And, and look, you ever had a kid, just lose it, right? All logic goes out the window, right? No logic now. It's all fight or flight reflex, right? That, that's, what, that's what happens. They just shut down and they are just thinking, I'm going to fight you or I'm going to run. And, and listen, ju- just by a thought, just by thinking a complaining thought. So watch this. You have a negative situation happen in your home, in your life, and then you start thinking about it negatively and you start complaining about it. You just made your situation Worse, you just flooded your body with adrenaline, uh, which taxes uh, your your nervous system. Taxes, uh, man. All of the stuff it raises your blood pressure, increases your risk for stroke, all that sort of stuff. And and you just wash your brain in that. And uh, and the other thing about that is is your brain loves to, as it makes connections, it loves to find the path of least resistance. So the more often you do that, the easier it is to go that way. It's kind of like making a little carving, like a uh, you know the Grand Canyon. You know the water just flows through where the canyon already is, right? And um, But, hey, there's good news, folks. God has designed your body that the opposite is also true. Did you know that? So when you have a thankful thought or a thankful word come out of your mouth or you write down something you're thankful, just by the power of your thought, you can wash your brain or spray your brain with a different chemical. If you practice a grateful thought or write it out, it sprays your brain with dopamine. Dopamine is the body's chemical, God's designed chemical that's responsible for feelings of peace, feelings of ah, joy and contentment. And you know what it does? It redirects blood flow to the higher functioning parts of the brain so that you actually become better at problem solving. You become better at logic, and you become better at empathy and care for others. Isn't that amazing that God would design our bodies to function in that way? So just by thinking a thought, just by one thought, you can change your brain chemistry. You can release a chemical in your brain. How powerful, how amazing is God that he would do that? And so we have to be careful, right? The Bible says this, take every thought captive. That's 1 Corinthians. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so we have to be careful about our thoughts and most importantly, our words. There is a old poem that says this, forgive me when I whine. I'm giving you some some free things to think about being thankful for. The poet says this, today upon a bus, I saw a lovely maid with her golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so happy and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped, by to, uh, when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment. Then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word. And then I knew he could not hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine with feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed. The world is mine. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. Wasn't that something? Now, in case you're thinking, Pastor, that's lovely, that's wonderful, I'm going to work on it, but it is really crazy. Pastor, it's really hard to be thankful in the midst of all this craziness. Pastor, I'm just struggling to do this. Well, can I share with you, uh, in closing, the story of Martin Rinkhart? He was a pastor in the 1600s in Germany, and uh, he he wrote a famous hymn called Now We Give Thanks, O God. Uh, It's the most famous hymn in all of Germany, right behind uh, Mighty Fortress is Our God, if you are into hymn studies. And um, the, the words go like this. Here are the words. I think we'll put them. There we go. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices, whom from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still ours today. With countless gifts of love. Amen. Have we focused on those countless gifts of love well, let me tell you about Martin Rinkhart, this pastor who grew up in Germany in the 1600s. He had went into ministry and tried to, uh, you know, be a pastor of different churches, but his theology and his preaching weren't all that great. In fact, he was better at music, which is why he wrote this hymn. And, um, and as he navigated ministry, he, he wasn't able to make it. And finally, he got to the city of Eilenburg, uh, um, and if you're German and can help me with that later. That'd be great. Uh, but he finally made it to the city of Eisenberg, and um, and just as he hit that city, and just as he started his pastoral work there, the Thirty Years' War broke out in his country. It was a vicious war, a horrific war, and the residents of this walled city endured many horrors during this time. And Rinkart stood by his flock, though he himself endured hardship. Soldiers would often come by and he would have to, as a law, quarter the soldiers, meaning the soldiers could just come in his house and sleep in his bed, take his food. And so he would often lose his grain, lose the limited food that he had and household goods, giving it to those soldiers who would come through the city. But he was faithful was a caring pastor. He attended to the needs of the sick and the hungry during these extreme circumstances. Well, because of the destruction that was going on between them and Sweden, refugees started to pour into his city and they started to overwhelm his city. And, um, and as they came in, uh, man, it, it would just begin to make things even more difficult. And then in 1637, As if the war and the influx of refugees wasn't difficult. In 1637, a plague happened. A plague, folks. Much like a pandemic. And in his city, 8,000 people died. 8,000 people. The vast majority of the town council, an exorbitant number of children, even his fellow co-workers and clergymen, and his wife died in that plague. So now he's dealing with the grief and the loss of his wife. He's dealing with the loss of his friends. He's dealing with the loss of the leaders in his community. And he is now thrust into even more leadership positions. And he is doing the work of 10 men. And in fact, just to bury those people, it is said that he buried 4,000 people just in one year. That was averaging about 15 funerals a day, to put it in perspective. Boy, times are tough, aren't they? But see, it was during this time as he listened to the cries outside of his own window that he wrote this song. It it wasn't a song in those days. It was called a table grace. It was a habit that before the meal they would say their table grace. That's where the phrase, hey, let's say grace before a meal comes from because they would often repeat a prayer. And he wrote this prayer for him and his children to say before meals, even though they had lost their mother, even though their, their city was surrounded by war, even though there was a plague over 15 funerals every day. Well, I wish I could tell you that was the end of the story. But after the plague, because of the lack of people, they were hit by a famine In fact, he goes on to say that the famine was so extreme that every day you could easily see 30 to 40 people brawling, fighting in the streets over something as simple as a dead cat or a crow because they were starving. I don't know about you, but times haven't gotten that hard, have they? Well... Rinkhart did his best to help his family. He gave away uh, the, the, the food that he would come across and the supplies at the church. He kept only the barest rations for him and his children. In fact, at one point, he was forced to mortgage his future income from the church just to buy bread for his own family. But Rinkhart continued to be thankful in the midst of that. Well, again, I wish I could tell you that a war and a plague, and the loss of his own wife, and a famine were enough. But then Swedish soldiers ended up at the city gates of his town. And they demanded a ransom of 30000 followers. I guess that is their form of currency back in those days. And there was hardly any leadership left. And so Rinkhart was sort of the only man, and he was sent out to talk to the Swedish general. And he went out to talk to the Swedish general and to plead for mercy, saying we don't have any money. We're barely trying to survive. We faced the war, the plague, and the famine. We are struggling to survive. And he asked the general for mercy. I wish I could tell you that general was merciful, but he was not. And he demanded the money. And he said, otherwise your town will be attacked and burned to the ground, and all of you will die. Get the money. Well, Rinkhart, being a man of faith, being a man of Jesus Christ, being a man of the gospel, went back into the town and grabbed whoever he could. And they fell upon their knees and they prayed. And they said, we haven't found mercy with men, but I know that we'll find mercy with God. And they pleaded with God and they had a prayer meeting and they thanked God. Notice that word. They didn't grumble or complain for all they've been. They thanked God for his provision and they begged God to change the Swedish general's heart. And that God did. The price went from 30000 down to 2000 And they were able to pay that. And through all the grief and the suffering and the loss and the plagues and the wars, he was able to write this, Now thank we all our God. Now we are focused on giving gratitude, right? Whose wondrous things he had done, in whom this world rejoices, and countless blessings, countless gifts of love, and still ours is today, Amen. So I think if Rinkart could find some things to be thankful for, you and I, can find some things to be thankful for. Amen. And so may we continue to make gratitude our habit, church. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you haven't started a personal relationship with him. Can I just tell you that gratitude is really the first step? That's really the first step to becoming a Christian is realizing all that God has done for you and realizing how much you have blowing it with God. Maybe you already saw that and knew that, but it's gratitude that really becomes the first step to salvation. It says, God, man, I realize what a sinner I am. I realize how good you've been to me, God. I thank you. And I want to give my life to you. That's really the mark of someone who begins that relationship with Christ. Love to, if that's you and you don't yet know Christ, love to lead you in a prayer. In fact, let's take a moment now to bow our heads and with eyes closed as our worship team, brother Scott comes to prepare to lead us. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have that personal relationship with him. You may know about him, but you don't have that connection. Love to lead you in this prayer. It's not a magic prayer. Repeating these words just by themselves won't make you a Christian, but if these words express the desire of your heart, express the gratitude of your heart, God would hear you and you would become his child and your sins could be forgiven. You may want to say something like this just there in the quietness of your heart privately, you might want to repeat something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I have sinned against you. I admit that I have sinned against you. But God, I'm so thankful that you loved me. God, I'm so thankful that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you rose again. And I believe that you rose again. Jesus, I'm grateful. Jesus, I'm grateful. And I give my life to you. I give my life to you. God, help me to follow you all the days of my life. God, help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, love for you to let us know. Put on a connection card. You can speak to us after the service. We'd love to help you on your journey of faith because it... It is a journey. Amen. And for those of us this week navigating Thanksgiving, I pray that you would make that list. Not just this week, not just once a year. Amen. Praise God. We have a holiday reminding us once a year, but we needed a whole lot more. And so this week, find the things you're thankful for. Might just be eyes, ears, and feet, but I'd be willing to bet if you were to take a look and ask God to open the eyes of your heart, you would see thousands, if not millions of things. Let's stand together.